Hey, welcome back to Season 1, Episode 25 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity and life and mission. My name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the great opportunity to sit down with Troy and Melissa Haas. I was, have been looking forward to this interview for a long time, and uh, just a transparent conversation with them. We're going to be looking at the capacity of personal health, exemplifying balanced, holistic health. And we're going to take a deep dive into their story. They were IMB missionaries um, in, in Kenya, and uh, just how certain things happened in their life, and they'll talk about their, their struggles. Um, what that looked like, and then how God has done an amazing work in their life. Um, Troy struggled with um, sexual sin, and um, and it came to light um, when they were missionaries, and um, how that unfolded, and how it impacted Melissa. We're going to have a conversation about how we care for people that are struggling, but then also how do we care for spouses? How do we care for those that are left in the wake? And a lot of times, I think that's a great area that we can grow in, is how we're caring for spouses that are affected by um, their husband or the wife, that it, they're caught up in a, in a sin or uh, an addiction. And sometimes we, we focus then on the, that person, but we forget the, the, the spouse that has le- is left in the wake. And I believe it's an area that we can grow in how we care for each other um, better in the future. And they just are very insightful. They talk about not just focusing on the um, the symptoms of, of things, but focusing on the deep heart issues. They talk about their ministry, Hope Quest, and uh, man, it just does. Uh, they have turned what got what happened in their life. They're now using that to minister to others and um, reaching out and um, doing some phenomenal work and, and Hope Quest. And, and their information will be in the, in the show notes if you want to look at that. Um, just a great opportunity to sit down and learn from Troy and Melissa. Do also want to remind you that if you have questions for Back Channel with Foth, you can send those in. Um, the growth capacities will be at uh, on the in the show notes. If you have questions, they'll follow those those line of, of the growth capacities. And so that is that is family health, um, personal health. We talk about people care. We talk about building teams, missiological maturity, self leadership, leadership skills, and then we talk about leadership intelligence. And so if you have questions for for Dick Foth, um, send those in, and we'll get those answered um, as, as quickly as we can. And so it's just a great interview today with Troy and Melissa. I think you be encouraged by it. And I do, my prayer is, is that um, if you're struggling, this will give you, as Troy talks about, the courage um, that we need to, to, to bring those things to light. And then, um, yeah, I just pray that you'll be encouraged with that. And maybe there's someone around that um, that you're care for. And Melissa talks about, you know, just being being upfronting and showing that, hey, there, there's something going on. It's just not right. I can't put my finger on it, but something's not right. And being having that courage to speak up. Do you want to uh, thank our, our sponsor for today's episode, Dr. Sean Ricker, a Cumberland Optical providing advanced care and friendly service. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings. It's great to be back today on the Clarity Podcast with some new friends, um, Troy and Melissa Haas. And uh, so excited to have you with us today. Looking forward to learning from your wisdom, your experience, and your story. Would you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience um, so we get to get know you just a little bit better? Well, I'm Melissa Haas, and uh, Troy and I have been married for 29 years. Um, our claim to fame is that there were three um, God is good and merciful. 
Um, many, many years ago, what, 27 years ago, we served in East Africa in Kenya as missionaries with the IMB. And, um, and so we've been on a journey of our own recovery and healing for 20 years. We have three kids and we live in Georgia these days. Good deal. Good deal. And that's uh, the state of Georgia in the United yes. States, not the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard a little bit about your story. Um, would you just care to, it would be possible just to maybe go ahead and unpack that a little bit for the audience, just to kind of set the stage or the foundation of the conversation we'll launch into from there. You said you were missionaries in Kenya with the IMB, and can we just go a little bit, maybe a little bit further than that? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, um, I didn't grow up a Christian. Uh, I didn't know uh, much about missions or any of that kind of world. Became a believer in my early twenties uh, out of a pretty a pretty rough uh, drug and addiction uh, kind of lifestyle. And so when I met Melissa in in college, I was I was uh, ten months a believer uh, or seven months a believer, ten months sober. Um, and really just knew that I loved Jesus and that Jesus had really changed my life, that I, yeah. a new relationship with Jesus had made all the difference. Uh, but there was a lot of stuff in my past um, that, to be quite honest, um, uh, you know, I learned later was kind of uh, core root issues, uh, secrets and abuse and a lot of shame and, and, and a lot of core false beliefs that I, I just, I didn't know what to do with, and I didn't know I was even supposed to do anything with them. I just assumed the more I loved Jesus and the better I walked with Jesus uh, and the more deeply I trusted Jesus, that all that stuff would kind of go away and fix itself. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, Melissa and I, Melissa felt called to the mission field. Uh, she grew up in the church. She were probably, what, about uh, 12, 13. 12, 13, when she felt called to missions. Uh, and uh, so when we kind of came together, God brought us together and God told us a couple of things, uh, be together, be married, uh, go to the mission field. Um, we began to move rapidly in that direction. And I, I tell you what, Aaron, I made a huge assumption in that. And the assumption was this, that if I could marry a beautiful, godly woman who was fairly close to perfect <laughs> and I could serve God, uh, especially on the mission field, that all this junk that I had come to realize the first couple of years of walking with Jesus was still there, and yet I didn't know what to do with all this junk would just kind of fix itself. It would go away. It would be under the blood, uh, and and I could somehow uh, vicariously through through Jesus and Melissa and the mission field uh, fix myself. Um, and so that that's kind of when we landed in Kenya in. Um, 1993, um, we were grateful and excited to be there um, and, and genuinely loved Jesus and genuinely felt, felt called and genuinely was called uh, to be there. But my walk with God uh, really had never um, taken me to the depths of my heart that I needed to. And, and, and Melissa, what, 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 maybe I'll let you kind of share a little bit more from there. So I think both of us we're kind of in this idealistic phase of our Christianity and ministry where we really, we knew nothing about emotional health. We knew nothing about uh, boundaries. We knew nothing about some of the really important pieces of emotional and spiritual maturity that we needed to be successful. And so, um, you know, Troy's secret struggles 
um, is, is those would move towards a direction of sexual addiction, um, lust, purity, all these things that he was grappling with, my need to please and for him to be okay with me all the time, put me in this place of always what I thought was living kind of a godly submissive wife role, but really began to enable some really negative behaviors, mm -hmm. anger, um, things, sexual sin I didn't know he was struggling with. But we got locked into this um, image. We were really more supporting an image of who we thought we needed to be as Christians and missionaries, rather than living an authentic lifestyle of who we were. And you know, I think part of that was driven by our own idealism and messages we received in the church that if you were, you know, spiritually okay, you didn't need anyone. You certainly didn't tell your secrets. Um, you took those to Jesus and confessed those. I mean, that's my upbringing for sure. Um, and just kind of locked and trapped in our own um, false beliefs about all of that, that we couldn't be authentically known, wouldn't even know how to be authentically known in the body of Christ. Um, and so that set us up for a big fall. And wow. why don't wow. you pick up there with 1999? Yeah, so so <laughs> for, for us, you know, again, I, I struggled with addiction my whole life, as long as I can remember. And so as a, as a Christian, the drugs and the alcohol piece, I, I really found real freedom around that. And, and, and really, uh, I was walking in, in freedom and sobriety. Uh, but I had a lot of issues with 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 purity and with uh, sexual things with myself. Uh, and what happened was I found myself in in Kenya with a culture that was was fairly promiscuous in terms of um, you know how men and women, especially unmarried women, interacted. And um, I found myself with my fantasy life kind of spinning out of control. And then uh, one day stepped over that line and with my addiction history uh man when i stepped over that line it, it was at that point i opened up a pandora's box so to speak and what i learned what well, i was always really good even before being a christian i was always really good at figuring out what i was supposed to do and then doing that well and so that's what i did as a missionary i figured out what i was supposed to do so we learned language. We not we not only learned Swahili, but we learned uh, the the tribal tongue, which was not a, a not a kind of normal practice for IMB at that time. Uh, and we really gave ourselves to to doing the work of a missionary quite quite effectively. And and you know because God is God and God's grace is God's grace and God can use a donkey. Um, God used us because of His word and because of His grace and because of His faithfulness. Certainly. You know, knowing my story, it was certainly not at all because of, you know, the purity or the, the, the integrity of my uh, life or my word or, or, or anything of that sort. But what I didn't realize was all of this emphasis on externals and all this emphasis on the work of a missionary without dealing with heart level issues and without, like Melissa said, I didn't know what emotional health was. Here, here's what I knew. I knew I was angry all the time. And um, most of that anger was, was self-directed. I, I hated myself for what I was doing. Hmm. You know, I remember at one point we went through a phase where um, uh, up in our part of, of Kenya and in that part of East Africa, people were being shot at. There was a lot of road banditry going on back in the 90s uh, in northwestern Kenya. And I remember daily driving down the roads, uh, maybe on my way up to southern Sudan or, or just across the northwestern Kenya, 
And I remember just praying and asking God, God, take my life. Let me be attacked by bandits today and killed today because I knew I hated what I was doing in my private, personal, hidden life, but I didn't know how to step out of that. And I didn't know what to do with that. And we were, we were very isolated. We were, we were, we were really, we were the only IMB folks in the entire um, district. Uh, and we didn't live near any uh, of the few other uh, American missionaries that were there. We would see them, you know, you know, once a quarter, maybe. And so just there was nothing there from an emotional health or even a spirit, a true spiritual death, a true spiritual connection standpoint. And so there was this anger and that anger would bleed out on Melissa a lot. And so our marriage was, was really, uh, really bad. And the only thing that people noticed in our lives negative, uh, there was a lot of positive to notice because of the good things that God was doing. But folks did notice our, our marriage relationship and a couple of friends confronted us on that. And, you know, we, we, you know, we denied, we shuffled, we committed to do better. You know, I, I know I've got anger issues. I need to work. We even, you know, did some stuff on furlough, some very intensive counseling work on furlough to try to fix that. But again, never dealing with the real core issues, never dealing with the heart level stuff, never dealing with the secrets. Um, so just always trying to fix what I knew was wrong, but trying to fix it by myself uh, in the best way I could figure possible. And really in, in what I would call an overly spiritual way. So Aaron, in, in 1999, and Melissa refers to this, how do you refer to this? As the year of God's merciful unveiling. Um, hmm. Just letting us some, somehow saying enough, I'm tired of my children hurting. Um, and hmm. so... Troy was confronted that year. Yeah, so I was confronted and, um, you know, I was, I was scared. I knew my missionary career was over, uh, but I was, I was just scared of that. I was scared of just all the pain and hurt that I had caused. I was scared of hurting Melissa uh, even more than I'd already hurt her. Um, and the, 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 the long story short was in being confronted, um, the IMB was very good and gracious to us, and uh, we ended up at a place called Link Care in Fresno, California, uh, which is an amazing, amazing place. It was life-saving for us. And when I arrived in Link Care at the end of 1999, um, I literally was, uh, in, in many respects, kind of a lost little boy. Um, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. I felt hopeless. I felt overwhelmed. I felt scared. But I also felt, Aaron, this, this deep conviction or need um, to somehow figure out a way to be honest, because that was the one thing I had never done in the midst of all of this. I had never actually told anyone what had been going on in my heart and life, not just what had been going on in those you know, six plus years on the mission field, but what had been going on my entire life and all the way back to childhood abuse and, and, and that sort of stuff. There were just tons and tons and tons of secrets. And so I made a step there at Link Care. My first step was to get honest and uh, to talk about, uh, yes, these are the things I have been doing. And I kind of unpacked my entire story. And Aaron, it was, it was the most um, amazing thing. I did not realize the weight of all of those secrets of that dual life of the lying and the hiding and the deceiving 
and this this really this 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 double-minded life as scripture talks about it you know a double-minded man is truly unstable because i was living a dual life and and i had troy the missionary who did a great job and served god well and then and then troy the the the, the broken man uh, who only knew one way to kind of deal with uh, the, the the pain and angst and fears and shame uh, of life. So that kind of set us on a journey uh, there in Fresno, California. And talk talk about just what that was like, real quick, Melissa, for you. So you know, Troy Troy struggle with um, sexual brokenness, and my struggle with really emotional dishonesty with myself and being the super glue that held everything together. You know. I, that began a journey for us where for the first time in our life, I think we really understood the one another's in scripture, you know, coming from our uh, Baptist upbringing, there's a lot of self-reliance there. Spiritually mature Hmm. Christians are the Christians who don't need anybody, right? God plus me equals enough. I can remember writing that in my Bible when I was growing up and, and the, you know, the correct equation is God plus me plus the body of Christ equals enough. And for both of us, it was a huge a shift and deepening of our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ when we invited other believers into walking with us in our in our in the ugly places of our life as well as the fearful places of our life the wounded places of our life it was it was transforming to be in community real authentic spiritual community where people weren't putting on their plastic fantastic and acting as if everything was okay and serving God. Um, I like that, and... the plastic fantastic. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good there. So it, it, was, it was really transforming for us. And for both of us, it shifted our spiritual world and our emotional world on an axis that is, was irrevocable and, and changed the course of our ministry. We, we moved eventually as we worked through a healing process, which was... Um, it was lengthy. It was really yeah, we, two or three years. We were, we were in Fresno for, for seven plus months and then kind of continued that healing journey, probably a total of about three years of just primarily focusing on our own stuff. Because mm-hmm. for me, I, I had tried to overcome that addiction and I had tried everything I could think of. You know, I prayed, I, um, uh, I read scripture, I read every book. We went to counseling. Uh, we went to a counseling intensive um, uh, at Marble Retreat, uh, when we were home on furlough, I mean, everything we could possibly think of. The one thing I never did to try to overcome my addiction uh, was to tell someone else what was going on in my life. And, and what I learned in Fresno was that um, the key to finding freedom, really from any life-dominating issue, whatever that addiction mm-hmm. struggle is, and it could you know, even be things like uh, anxiety and depression or an addictions, but mental health struggles, the key, it's relationships, it's community, it's talking about it and, and, and being honest about it. And I had never done that before. I had always just thought, I've got to figure this out and, and, and then I've got to bring my good self uh, to, to, to relationships. And so uh, when we left Fresno, it was very difficult because in those seven months, we developed a depth of relationship and we had some close friends in Kenya and Kenya, I mean, you, you know, Africa is inherently a relational culture. And, and we had some really, really deep relationships as deep as you could when you're living a dual life. Um, but, um, you know, some really deep relationships there, but boy, Fresno and being honest and kind of for the first time talking about 
not just the stuff I had done, but the fears that were underneath hmm. that and the, the shame, the, the, just the self-hatred and all of that stuff, talking about that, laying that out on the table, connecting, relating around that. Uh, it was hard to leave Fresno because Fresno had become uh, really a new place, a new home for us that we had never experienced that level of connection and relationship and authenticity before. Hmm. Um, but, but the bottom line was God was w- wanting us to move and we didn't know why, but God opened a door for us to come, uh, to Woodstock, Georgia, uh, a suburb of Atlanta. And, uh, we came to Woodstock really just to continue our healing journey. We didn't come to Woodstock to do ministry. Uh, the invitation from first Baptist church Woodstock was come here and let us love on you for a while. And so we did. It just so happened that, uh, a couple of friends from Africa, uh, were there in Woodstock. And so we kind of knew two people and um, we went and we just continued our healing journey, continued uh, being honest, authentic, and real, uh, continued working on those core underlying issues and our emotional health and our emotional maturity and kind of learning how to put emotional maturity and spiritual maturity together. Hmm. Uh, and so we, 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 we did that. Uh, and, and, you know, and the thing that, was really, I think, important for both of us is that God began changing the focus of our ministry. Hmm. You know, in Kenya, it was all about church planting and helping people understand the gospel. And for me, it it really changed to a place of help people understand me, Melissa, wow. help people understand that I'm the healer. Hmm. And so the first ministry that we actually did kind of just in a lay capacity as we were on our own journey was beginning to create community for people, uh, Troy, for men who were struggling with uh, pornography addiction, sexual brokenness, sexual sin, and me for their spouses. Mm. Um, and so we created, um, because we had gotten used to community in Fresno and we didn't have it here, not that kind of community, we started our own groups for that. And that was kind of the Lord's entrance into a new ministry that he developed. And, you know, we jokingly referred to it as our new unreached people group, um, which were people in the body of Christ struggling with sexual sin and the devastating impact of that with, you know, the church has historically not done a great job with ministering to these people. Yeah. And so that began our ministry here. And, you know, I'll let Troy talk about a little bit how that's evolved, but yeah. For the past 20 years of our recovery, we've been giving back the same comfort that God gave us. Can I just ask one real quick question? Yeah. Um, you've talked about the courage to ask and to tell. You, you shared that. Um, if somebody's listening today and they have uh, things that they've been holding on and they've never told anybody, where do they find the courage to get that out? And then how would they... What? with your wisdom experience and advice who would be the person do you think that they should go to um i know that's a broad question and it it there's case dependency but at the same time that courage uh, i guess i would agree with you i used to think people that as you said the plastic fantastic that had it all together didn't need it they were the courageous one but as i looked at my own life it was when i needed help it took more courage to ask for help Mm -hmm. than it did to be be the plastic fantastic because that was almost the um the drift or the the way i would go to um just putting on that face and so finding the courage and 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 how do they share that with somebody yeah i, I would answer that in two ways for starters you know it's very difficult when 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 the courage or the stuff that you need to share is is really 
deeply personal and and also deeply sinful. Uh, and uh, what you're what you're sharing is a struggle that might ultimately um, have an impact on your ministry and 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 your life. But the reality is this: um, if I had it to do all over again, I would have. I would have looked around me and asked God to show me a safe person. Uh, and, and looking back, they, they were there. God had placed them there in my life. And, you know, uh, maybe a colleague from another mission agency or a mentor or um, a, a pastor friend, but finding someone who I can take that first step with and then taking that first step of saying, you know what, hey, I've got some stuff I need to talk to you about. And it's, it's, it's scary for me to talk about it. And I need you to just, I need you to listen and, 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 and hear what I have to say and just be with me as we figure out together how best to deal with this. Uh, but I think as we, as we look around us and we ask God, who have you placed into my life that I could talk to and that I could take a first step with? Uh, and, and, and just being intentional about seeking out that person and seeking out God's help and identifying that person, uh, you know, because, because here's the thing I've learned, Aaron, there is no way we can overcome the things we need to overcome by ourselves. It's absolutely positively impossible. I say it this way, secrecy kills, honesty heals. And Good. unless we find a place to be That's honest, true. Uh, we're going to continue to struggle and, and, and be in bondage, so to speak. That's a good word. And, and I would just add this. Part of what blocks people from being honest are these fears that something that's been propping me up is going to be taken away, right? Hmm. And, and, and I would say that for many of us in ministry, ministry can become an idol, right? Hmm. That we base our identity and worth and value on what we're doing for God rather than who we are in him. Hmm. And so kind of a crisis of faith moment for anyone struggling with some either secret sin or even some kind of struggle that's, that's taking them away from being present with God and others, whatever that is, is to submit and say, Lord, even if I lose these things, if I lose my missionary career, if I am, um, it's worth being one with you. It's worth, um, being present with you because in light of eternity as painful as it was for us to go through what we went through in mm -hmm. Kenya, it's a blip, right? It's a moment in time where God says, I am on a path to healing you. I will sanctify you. I will make you whole. And even though life circumstances may look really painful in that, if we'll trust him, big crisis of faith, right? This, and I believe every Christian does that some kind of garden of Gethsemane moment with our savior where it's, we have to go all in regardless of what we might lose. And for many of us, um, God uses our own brokenness and our wounds to do that in our lives. Wow. That's good. That's a good word. So you're in your Woodstock, Georgia, and uh, you're there and um, God begins to do something else as far as ministry open doors. Yeah. So, so here, here's the bottom line. Um, we just began to look around us and see there's a lot of folks out there just like us. Um, they, they love Jesus. They have a real relationship with Jesus. They're, they're maybe even serving the church. They, they may be on staff at the church. I mean, they're, 
their, their commitment to Jesus is not the problem, but they've got a secret struggle. And that secret struggle may be with, with lust. It may be with pornography. It may be with masturbation. It may be with, 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 with alcohol. There, there, there's something going on there that is, as Melissa put it, keeping them disconnected from their, 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 their relationship uh, with God in a very authentic way and causing them to kind of live this dual life. And so we felt called to dive into the body of Christ, so to speak. And so we started Hope Quest. And uh, the vision of Hope Quest is to be uh, the church's resource for addiction help. The church doesn't know what to do. You know, when you, uh, you reach out to your pastor and you say, Pastor, I'm struggling with an addiction issue, or my child is struggling with an addiction issue, or my spouse is struggling with an addiction issue, Pastor doesn't always know what to do with that. And yeah. the church staff doesn't always know what to do with that. The Sunday school teacher doesn't always know what to do with that. And so one of the things that we've tried to do is be a resource to the church to say, you know what? There's a path forward that involves uh, not just purity and righteousness, but freedom and hope uh, that, that people don't have to be uh, consumed by, defined by, and ruled by these, uh, these uh, addiction struggles and issues and sin uh, that they have been. So we've do- we, we dove in, like Melissa said, we started with small groups uh, because, again, what we realized that was missing, uh, it was missing in our experience uh, as, as, as young Christians in college and seminary. It was missing in our experience uh, overseas. Uh, and, and that was safe places where we can truly come together as children of God and really be honest, authentic, and real. Kind of take those masks off and really talk about what's going on. You know, I remember having, you know, all the normal struggles that you would have on the mission field. Uh, I mean, gosh, it can be frustrating at times trying to survive. Uh, you know, and I, I remember we, 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 we had, we had no, uh, no, um, no air conditioning in our first truck. Yeah. And uh, where we lived in Kenya is over a hundred every day. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, 115 during the hot time of year and no paved roads. It's all dirt roads. It was a 13 hour <laughs> drive. And the last seven hours of that 13 hour drive were on dirt roads. And so we, we would, we would drive that seven hours and you'd have your windows down until you couldn't stand the dust anymore. And then you roll your windows up and you keep your windows up till you couldn't stand the heat anymore. But, you know, the mission policy was missionary vehicles don't have air conditioning. Yeah. And guess who made that policy? The folks living in Nairobi. And Nairobi's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's 75 degrees every day. All you, you don't need air conditioning. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, just those kind of basic frustrations, um, but nowhere to go with that, nowhere to talk authentically about that and nowhere to kind of just um, whatever was going on, whether it was frustrations about that, frustrations about cultural language learning or frustrations about uh, our marriage and my anger and then ultimately my purity. Um, no place to turn with that. And again, what we've tried to create is a clear um, um, a call for people, especially people in ministry, but people that walk with Jesus need safe places and safe communities where they can be honest, authentic, and real and experience this authenticity with one another and with God that allows us to overcome these hmm. areas. So 
HopeQuest began with support groups, but then we quickly looked at our own experience. And, and you know, Aaron, what saved us was the long-term help that we got at LinkCare. That's what saved our lives, our marriage, uh, and that's all that really mattered when we rolled in there. I, I wasn't looking to save ministry. For me, ministry was gone forever. Um, and I, I just wanted to, I wanted to walk with Jesus again, like I used to, uh, early on. I wanted to, wanted to love my wife in a way that, 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 that honored her and honored God. And, um, that long-term care that we got, that was really a combination of Christ centered, but clinically effective that, that, hmm. that took seriously discipleship, but it took seriously psychology as well. It took, it took seriously both of those things and put them together and helped you not just deal with the discipleship level issues, but the heart level, soul level issues that, that must be addressed and dealt with. And Melissa can articulate what those issues are in a moment. But the bottom line is we set out to create something like that because back in the day, Link Care was just simply available to missionaries. Hmm. So normal, normal pastors and normal church members couldn't avail themselves of that kind of care. So we started the Trek program at HopeQuest, and Trek is a longer-term residential treatment program for men who struggle with addiction issues. Hmm. And it's, it's amazing to see how God kind of works in all of that. 25% of our clients are coming out of full-time ministry into that hmm. program hmm. Uh, that's a 90-day minimum program. And creating just those opportunities through, through support groups, uh, through the residential addiction treatment program, and then through outpatient counseling and consulting with churches and mission organizations, just again, to try to help them see um, people struggle with addiction issues wow. and we can simply uh, dismiss them or we can get them help hmm. and really kind of let God do this restoring work uh, that sees a relationship with God restored and a relationship of marriage restored. Uh, that's the restoring grace uh, of God. Amen. Amen. And Melissa, question I have for you. So say you're walking through this for a spouse. Um, one thing I, I'll just speak for me. Um, we're involved in member care. One thing I have not been very good at is caring for a spouse, maybe that feels betrayed or traumatized in this process. Could you just speak to that? And um, how can we better care for a spouse? And maybe both of you can speak to that. How can we better care for a spouse that is, that is walking in that? Maybe they've seen their, their spouse struggling and they, they've remained silent. And then when it comes out, then all the attention goes to that spouse, but the other spouse is left hurting because all the focus is on the spouse that, that his, their, their addictions have come out. How can we better care? And um, just, could you unpack that, just a, that question a little sure. bit for us? I, I would love to. That's a particular passion of mine. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I think is really important for um, people to understand is that when you're a married unit, um, the pain of whatever we're struggling with is equally felt by both people. Um, you know, I, I would never want to minimize Troy's pain in the sense that he carried a ton of shame and guilt, self-hatred, and it's a very heavy load to bear. At the same time, you know, my, my, the, the load that I carried was incredibly hard. 
um, loss of a dream, loss of a career, um, loss of a faithful marriage, and uh, you know a lot of exposure to STDs, a lot of just so many losses. I can't even. Um, it would take all day to just talk about the layers of losses that a spouse experiences in a marriage, and so part of the dilemma we face in caring for a spouse is where does she go with that initial grief? And it really depends on the, on the woman, right. Or the man, if it's, if it's, um, if the, if the, if the wife has betrayed him, you know, how does she carry that grief? It, does it center into a place of really just kind of like a trauma, um, where she's not thinking clearly anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Um, it's crushing to her because she had all of her hopes in this person or never believed he could betray her. Um, and so the initial response might look very much like a trauma event. And so, you know, for that spouse, she needs those first grounding things, just like you would with a soldier coming back from combat, teaching her um, how to uh, breathe and how to ground herself, surrounding her by safe people who are not going to urge her right away to forgive, um, who are not going to put spiritual um, pressure on her to be something emotionally that she cannot process in that moment. Because uh, a lot of times, well-intentioned believers, I call this unhelpful help with good intentions, um, well-intentioned believers just try to fix the problem, right? I'm just going to, you know, I can't tell you how many times I heard Romans 8:28 quoted to me in the initial months of our recovery. Don't worry, mm. Melissa, all things work together for the good. Mm. And I just wanted to slap people like mm. I, I need you to be like Job's friends were before you started talking. Right. Mm. They just came and sat with him for seven days. They didn't say a word. They just were with him. And so people in the body of Christ don't understand grief and don't do well with grief as a whole. So just sitting, being, uh, accepting the pain, listening, um, and beginning to help a spouse ground herself back in the present, like just breathe just breathe, right? I'm with you. We're going to, we're going to be okay. Just breathe. And, and so a lot of patience and time in that process, um, getting her the help she needs a, a safe way to process even ugly emotions that look anger, that looks incredibly sinful rage acted out, right? How do I helping her contain that? So she doesn't harm herself or others as she goes through all those emotions. And most of all, most of all validating her experience and not pressuring her to move back towards relationship before she is adequately grieved and dealt with um, the trauma of what's happened in her marriage. Um, we talk about a restoration process. And for many spouses, it begins with um, just kind of triaging the initial wound. I talk about a betrayal is like being run over by a semi and somehow you survived, hmm. right? And so you're in ICU. And you're just in a full body cast and there's nothing anyone can do for you in that moment. Hmm. There's not a thing except sit by your side and hold your hand. Hmm. There's not a thing. I can't tell you. Let's just pray about it. Um, none of that gets in. It's just completely covered over with pain. And every breath, every breath you take is just an act of survival. Yeah. And so God, time, good care. Um, can get a, get a spouse to this place where she's stable so that she can work through a forgiveness process and begin to heal. 
Um, usually that happens first, and then we move into a phase of rebuilding trust, which is a much longer process. Um, but all of that time realizing that spiritual bones, if you will, have to be re-knit together. A heart has to be, um, a heart has to mend, a shattered heart has to mend. And so, you know, for those of you who are working with spouses, patients, um, getting some understanding about what it's like to have this kind of injury and not putting pressure. And most of all, um, if you're supporting the guy who struggled with the sin, uh, making sure you pay attention and getting her the help that she needs yeah, that's in good. those moments. That's a good word. That's a good word. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something I think that we have a lot of room to grow in and uh, a lot of room for growth. That's to try to spin it positively. Um, you know, and I think as we, we move forward, that is, it's something that's on my heart. And um, I think that um, we, can, we can grow in that area. And I really appreciate your insight into that. One of the things as I looked over your ministry, Hope Quest, is I noticed that you focus more, it's interesting to me, is your focus is more on the hurts of the heart rather than the, the actions and the symptoms of those hurts of the heart. Can you just share a little bit why, why that's important and why you focus more in that area than you would on symptoms? Obviously, I agree, um, but, yeah. it's, but it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because I see in my experience in the church, um, so I own it myself. Um, my experience in the church is we focused a lot on symptoms and a lot on actions and trying to control those actions, but not on the real reasons for those actions. So I think it'd just be valuable to hear your insight and wisdom on that. Yeah, you know, Scripture is clear that what comes out of our mouths and, and, and our behaviors and such emanate from a place deep down within us, our heart, our soul. And um, I think too often as, as Christians, we focus on trying to fix those external manifestations of what's really going on in our heart. And um, I tried that for years. It's part of the reason why, why I failed is I was trying to fix external symptoms. And when we got to Link Care and we continued on in our journey, I realized there was some deep stuff that was driving and motivating some, 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 some false core beliefs. Uh, and some patterns and, and, and behaviors or, 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 or some patterns in the way I, I, I interacted with myself and others. And so what we believe, and I'll let Melissa kind of jump in here real fast. Here's the bottom line. We believe that change happens from the inside out and that transformation begins not with us trying to control our behaviors, but with us surrendering our hearts. And uh, Melissa, talk a little bit about just kind of emotional health and, and heart change. Um. So, so this is not new. I think the church lost us along the way because this is the way Jesus ministered. He never talked about external behaviors, hmm. much to the Pharisees' chagrin. Right? <laughs> um, he talked about, no, your heart is dirty. Like, you, yeah. you know, you're a whitewashed tomb. So, I, you know, as we talk about counseling and what counseling really is from a spiritual perspective, it's, it's removing the blocks that get in the way of a right relationship with ourself, God, and others. You know, counseling is not some mumbo jumbo thing. It really is trying to help people understand and remove the blocks that keep them from in intimacy and connection. Mm. And because if we can't connect, and usually that block is a big wall of fear caused by core beliefs that we have. You know, if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. Um, I'm a bad, unworthy person. I can't depend on others to meet my needs. I have to meet them myself. Um, it, we have these 
distorted beliefs about ourselves that happen when we're small and vulnerable and the enemy comes and whispers in our ear, see, it's your fault, see, you're bad, and we believe him lock, stock, and barrel. And because we grow up with this core belief, and it's kind of running in the background like an app, we don't even know how much it's influencing our feelings because whatever we're believing drives our emotions and the emotions become the fuel that drive our behaviors. Hmm. And so if we're going to change, we have to do what Jesus said, what Paul talked about in Romans, which is our, our beliefs have to be renewed, Hmm. right? We have to, we have to have a different way of thinking, but for a counselor, our job is to wade through all the, all the muck to get to that belief. And sometimes it's quite camouflaged and hidden. Yeah. Um, by spirituality, a mask of perfectionism, uh, a good performance. But underneath, you might find a really insecure person yeah. working really hard to try to prove to themselves that they have worth and value wow. instead of just accepting that God says, You are greatly loved and accepted. There's nothing you need to do to make me proud. Yeah. I'm That's proud good. because you're mine. That's a good word. And so if we don't, if we don't take the grace of God and let it penetrate down to that level, and all we do is say, you know, this behavior is wrong, or I really want to stop this behavior, or I know this behavior isn't in line with who I'm supposed to be, all that happens is some, some surface level behavioral change, which never, ever lasts. Surface mm. level behavioral change never lasts until we get down into that, that kind of core soul area of our hearts. And say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let God change the way I, I see myself, the way I believe about myself, and 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 uh, as as that transformation happens, now behaviors actually change because uh, of what's emanating from from the inside. That's good. That's a good word. That's a good word. Well, we got about five minutes left. I just want to ask one more question, and I know this is a big question to ask in five minutes. From your wisdom and experience, maybe there's a a uh, parents out there that are seeing one of their kids struggling with addiction, um, and I know that's that's one case, um, and also in a spouse that's struggling with addiction. Is there what can we do? What what words of wisdom would you have um, first for for parents? Maybe their kids are struggling, and then also for a pal, a spouse that really wants their their husband or wife to to come forward, have the courage, and to put that out there, but they're not, and they really want it, but it doesn't seem like the other spouse does. Is there words of encouragement you would offer to those two different cases? Hmm. So let let me just start here. I think. As a child of God, the most important thing we can do is walk in tune with his spirit in us, right? Um, And so if I have a fear or a concern, then I need to be living in the moment with him and finding an opportunity to grow in my faith by reaching out to someone who he lays on my heart to talk to, right? Um, I think for parents, it can be what can get in the way of actually loving their kids is the fear. Oh no, my kid's going to end up in, you know, we catastrophize, Yeah. right? My kid's struggling with this. And so it's easy because we're bigger and stronger and authority to just slam the hammer down. And instead of getting curious about their hearts and what's really going on in them to say no more and put all these controls around them, to try to control their experience instead of entering in with them. Wow. Right. That's a good word. And so for children, what I would say is if you, if you, you know, 
one of the things we're dealing with a lot here in the States is, is teenagers struggling with pornography addiction because it's so available. Um, and so if you find your kids struggling with pornography, um, to enter into that with them, instead of being horrified and terrified, enter in and say, you know, this is a unique human struggle, hmm. right? So tell me what's going on with you. Why is this a temptation for you? Why are you vulnerable to this? You know, part of it is it's a normal biological thing to, to explore attraction, but part of it is um, maybe I'm anxious and I don't know how to do relationships or I don't know how to talk to other people about my sexuality or about my desires and they feel bad, but I have them. Hmm. And so for parents, not being afraid to enter into your children's struggle, to put your fault, your fear on the back burner and let them just be curious about their hearts, get to know your kids. Don't be threatened by their sinful nature. Hmm. We all have it. Right. Yeah. And so they will have their story with God. That's good so word. walking it with them, just like you would, if you can relate to your children the way you would relate to a brother or sister in Christ who was struggling with that amount of grace and acceptance and walking with them, that is the best path for your child not to be consumed with addiction. If you word. control, if you shame, if you belittle, if you uh, try to manage their life in a helicopter way, you will drive them further into addiction because they won't get to tell you what's going on. Hmm. What would you say about a spouse? So, Again, I go back to, to Aaron, that phrase that I used, and I use this all the time, secrecy kills, honesty heals. And so the, 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 the central piece of, of helping someone is connecting them with authentic community. And I, I look back on our situation and I think to myself, you know, what could Melissa have done that would have helped me? And I think the thing that Melissa did that kept me, that, that allowed me to continue to choose to, uh, to, to stay hidden was that she was willing to join me in keeping secrets and not reaching out for help. Um, and I think if she would have just reached out for help for herself uh, and brought some light and brought some truth into our situation. Uh, and so really the bottom line is um, you've got to find safe people uh, whether that's, again, a, a member care person or uh, a friend from another agency, or just ask God, God, who can I talk to? Because I promise you this, um, I don't know of anyone who's found real and lasting freedom that hasn't involved involving or welcoming someone else in to their situation and their struggle. There's, there's just no other way that doesn't involve bringing someone in and saying, hey, I need help here. I need you uh, to walk with me through. I, I don't know where to go. You may not know where to go, but at least come in here with me. Here's what's going on. Help me figure out what my next steps are supposed to be. Uh, and uh, reaching out for that kind of help is, 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 to me, the central most thing that we can do. And I would just add to that, you know, as a spouse, I didn't know what Troy was doing sexually. I just knew our marriage was horrible. He was angry all the time. And so reaching out preventatively, like when you start feeling heavy emotions, like something's not right, you know, talking to someone, something's not right. I need some help. Um, if you can, if I would have done that right away, then we might have had a different story. You know, if I could have said, we're totally disconnected, I don't know what's going on. And we would have gotten help then. So it, trust your spidey senses if you're a spouse and reach out for help if something's not okay. Um, even if you don't know 
if you don't have evidence that something's really wrong. Good word. Well, hey, I've, this has been valuable for me, and I know it's going to be valuable for the audience, and we'd love to have you guys back again if that would be we a possibility. That. But would you go ahead and pray for the audience um, today, and we will we will end this episode. But, um, man, it'd be great to have you back, and uh, you're a wealth of knowledge, experience, and your ability to understand the life on the field is, uh, is unique and valuable um, in this process. So would you pray for us? Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate that. I'll start and you finish. Okay. Father, we're grateful for your grace. Father, just I pray that everyone that's listening to this today would recognize and hear your grace and that they, Father, would trust your voice to lead them to whatever next step it is that you have for them in their life. Give them that nudge, that guidance, that direction. And Father, I ask that for all of us on this journey who call ourselves daughters and sons of God, that you would help us to lean in. Um, even if we're in pain, even if it's painful, would you give us courage to lean in and be honest, bring us to our own Gethsemane and help us to understand how important it is to say my, not my will, but yours to surrender in that moment. And father, I also pray for the member care, um, that of all the agencies that are represented, that you would give them wisdom, power, grace, discernment as they walk with other believers who are hurting. We love you and we trust you with our stories because you are good. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen.